You're listening to Love Your City. It's a Movement Australia podcast. We believe that communities can be transformed as a unified church in every city or town lives and proclaims the gospel into every sphere of society. We'll tell stories from where this is already happening. We'll dig into the Bible to better understand God's heart for cities and towns. And we'll discuss practical strategies. Because no matter where you live, a gospel movement can happen. Great to have Peter McHugh, a pastor in Melbourne, also the senior pastor of um, Stairway Church in the city of Whitehorse in um, Melbourne, and a great friend to many of us, uh, well known also to many in the body of Christ, not only in Australia, but overseas as well, and also the author of several books. And uh, I've asked Peter to uh, share something of his heart, which he's well versed in, uh, uh, over the area of the well-being of pastoral leaders, especially those that are feeling stress and pressure. So, Peter, welcome. Lovely to have you. Thanks, Ian. I appreciate the opportunity and uh, certainly appreciate the privilege of speaking to all those that are listening, uh, understanding that we're comrades in arms, as it were, uh, on the front lines doing something great for God. So congratulations to all of you who are carrying the flag of the kingdom. Um, So let me just explore some thoughts here. Uh, I'm hoping they'll be helpful for you. In 1 John chapter 3, uh, verses 6 through to 8, uh, we're told to practice righteousness. So the question that comes to my mind is, what are we practicing? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says that we're to seek righteousness. So what is it that we would be seeking if we're seeking righteousness? In John chapter 16, it says that the Holy Spirit will convict us concerning righteousness. So what's the Holy Spirit going to speak to you about? Is he's going to speak to you about righteousness? In Romans chapter 14, verses 17 to 18, it says that the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so uh, the next verse is really important as well, but we tend not to read it as much. It says, they who serve Christ in this way will be pleasing to God and acceptable to men. And so, so Paul is saying they that serve from what we've received, we've received righteousness, peace and joy, um, rather than serving from eating and drinking or following the rules, uh, being performance orientated. And so what does it mean to serve Christ through righteousness? Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of Christ. Um, and so all the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so what are you becoming? If you're becoming righteous, what are you actually becoming? Uh, In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, it says to hunger and thirst after righteousness, and then we'll see the kingdom of God. And so what are we hungering and thirsting for? So this word righteousness keeps turning up all the time in Scripture that we're to practice it, we're to seek it, we're to be convicted of it, we're to serve through it, we're to become it, uh, we're to hunger and thirst for it. But what is it that we're actually talking about? And so the word righteousness uh, in the New Testament uh, has two meanings. One is propitiation, and so the price that was paid for the penalty of sin so that we can have right standing with God. The second meaning is expiation, and expiation is the removal of sin. Um, And so if we're seeking, practicing, uh, serving through righteousness, becoming righteousness, I want to suggest to you that it's actually the second meaning of righteousness that Paul is exploring here and that it's the removal of sin, which basically boils down to being in right relationship. So the word righteousness means to be in right standing with God, propitiation. 
but it also means to uh, be in right relationship. And so when the Bible says that God is righteous, what the Bible is saying is that God is someone who seeks right relationship. He is righteous because he continually seeks right relationship. And that's what salvation is all about, is that he wanted to seek right relationship. And so when it comes to our well-being, when it comes to our social well-being, our mental well-being, um, our spiritual well-being, I've discovered that one of the biggest keys is how I live in right relationship with God, how I live in right relationship with myself, and how I live in right relationship with others. And I find that if I can pay attention to those three things, it helps me to manage my well-being so that I'm not living with stress, anxiety, fear, I'm not being overwhelmed. Um, and so how do we live in right relationship with God? Well, there's any number of things that we could explore in this particular conversation, which we just don't have time to go through them all. So let me, what I'd like to do is just to pick out one example of living in right relationship with God, living in right relationship with myself and living in right relationship with other people. So when it comes to living in right relationship with God, um, the key that I have discovered, and others are actually writing a lot about it at the minute. So there's a book called Faith for Exiles um, by David Kinnaman, which comes out of the Barna Research Group, which talks about how we make resilient disciples and particularly resilient disciples of the young adult generation, the millennial generation. And the thing that they did all their research and the thing that they found, there were five of them, but the one that stood out above everything else was to make a resilient disciple, you need to help them understand who they are in Christ. It's all about understanding their identity. And that, that's one of the great searches of all men. Uh, who am I? Where do I fit? What's my purpose? What's my place? Um, and so understanding our identity in Christ is unbelievably important, is, is really significant. Now, Jesus in Luke 19 has a chat with a guy called Zacchaeus. We all know the story. Uh, has dinner with him. And then Jesus says in verse 9, Today salvation has come to this household because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save. The next word is not those. The next word in the original language is that or what. And so Jesus says of himself that the Son of Man came to seek and to save something that's attached to someone. Came to seek and to save that which was lost. That word lost can also be translated destroyed. So what, what's the something that was destroyed that Jesus came to seek and to save? We find it in the verse before. Today salvation has come to this household because he too is a son of Abraham. It was his identity. It was the restoration back into what they understood listening to him was the family of God, the chosen people. But Jesus has died and risen again. And so now our identity, the reason Jesus died for all of us was to restore our identity as children of God. Where was it destroyed? Where was it lost? It was lost in the garden. It was lost when Adam and Eve exchanged fathers because they listened to the temptation of the evil one. And the evil one said, why don't you exchange being one with God for being like God? Um, and, and they made that exchange. And so then John 8, you're of your father, the devil, who's been a liar since the beginning. And so, so there's a whole bunch of uh, thought and ideas and theology that sits back in behind knowing in my heart, not just knowing in my head, that I'm a child of God. And what does that actually mean? What does it mean to be a child of God? What does it mean to be restored to oneness with God? Um, and so my encouragement to everybody that's listening is that you would actually go on a journey with the Lord to have revelation about who you are in Christ. 
Paul says 169 times in his writings in the New Testament, something like the mystery that Christ is in you, God within you, you are in Christ. Um, and so Paul had this deep revelation that he actually was chosen and holy and beloved, that his identity was, that was connected to who he was in Christ. Um, and we all have an identity. The thing about the story of Zacchaeus was that there are four things in that story. He was rich. He was a tax collector, um, he was small in stature, and he was a sinner. All four things speak to our identity. We identify ourselves by how much money we've got, what our job is, our physical appearance. That's why we go to shopping malls, because most of it's about our physical appearance. Um, and then he was a sinner, his, his spiritual identity. And so, so it's no, I don't think it's any coincidence that those four ideas of identity are there. That's his human identity, but now he's got a new identity in Christ. Um, how did Jesus know that he'd been saved? Because he had an expression of love. And that ultimately is what the kingdom is all about. He said, because I've seen this expression of love, that tells me something's changed in your identity. You're no longer hanging on to your wealth, your sense of being a tax collector, blah, blah, blah. You're now living out of, you, you've realised that you're a son of Abraham. And so I think when we can, when we know that I'm a child of God, I'm the beloved of God, even though we face a whole bunch of pain and challenge in the ministry, if we can be in right relationship with God through that place and we can be centred back around that place, that we find our way back there every day in our quiet time, that to, to make it one of the goals of my quiet time is to be re-centred around who I am in Christ and to spend time in the scripture. It's intriguing to me, um, this idea of oneness with God and oneness with one another. How do we be in a right relationship with others, which I'll get to in a minute. But in Ephesians, Ephesians is the book of oneness. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 to Ephesians 1, 13 is about what we've received because we're one with God. We are blameless. We're children of God. We're predestined. Grace has been given to us. So one, the Ephesians 1, 1 to 1, 13 is about what we've received. Then Ephesians 1, 14 through I think it's about 22 or something, the end of chapter 1, is about the, that the eyes of our heart would be open to see that we're one with God and what that means to be one with God. And then Ephesians 2, 1 to 2, 10 is about what it took for me to become one with God, to be translated out of darkness into light because of grace, not because of my own works. Then in uh, Ephesians 2, verse 11, he says, therefore, so on the basis of all that I've just said, I now want to talk to you about being one with one another. I want to talk to you about there's no longer Jew or Gentile. We're, we're one with one another. I want to talk about the fact that we're being fitted together into a holy temple. We're, we're one with one another. And so Paul's saying oneness with God and oneness with one another go hand in hand, being in right relationship with God, having a, an, a, an idea of my right relationship with God, and then living in right relationship with others, righteousness, is what, what it is to be in the kingdom. He then says that there's two reasons why this is important in chapter 3, which I won't go into. But then in chapter four, we know he says, therefore, again, so because we're one with God, because we're one with one another, because there's two reasons why this is really important, therefore, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. We love to pull that verse out and say, so walk in a manner worthy of being a carpenter or being a nurse or being a, a doctor or whatever, but that's not the context. The context, the, our calling is to live in oneness with God and live in oneness with one another. I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of being one with God and one with one another, and then be diligent to preserve the unity of the, of the, of the peace, the bonds of peace. 
and then there's one hope, one baptism, blah, 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 blah. There's a whole lot more in there that I could go into, particularly the Ascension Gift Ministries, to equip people for the work of service. Again, we want them to serve in our church, and so we pluck that out of context. But in context, the work of service is living in oneness with God and living in oneness with one another. Um, and so, anyway, I, I'm starting to digress um, in all of those spaces. So to be in right relationship with God, if we can learn to live in right relationship with God, that I am in right relationship with him, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, I am a child of God, I'm the beloved of God, it doesn't matter what's going on in my circumstances, I am the beloved of God. The best illustration of this for me is in John 16, where Jesus says to the disciples, um, I'm going to be going, I'm, I'm leaving, um, and you're all going to be scattered, and it's going to look like I'm alone, but I'm not alone because the Father's with me. Um, in the world, you will have tribulation, but take courage, I've overcome the world. My peace I leave you, my peace I give you. And so what's Jesus saying? Well, the word tribulation there means inner turmoil. Now, we all have places of doubt, of fear, of insecurity, of uncertainty. It's inner turmoil. And we live in a world that's hostile a lot of the time. Spiritually, it's hostile. Uh, we're shepherds and sheep bite. Um, we're, we're hostile towards ourselves because we don't think we're doing well. Our self-talk is there aren't enough people in my church. Why aren't people getting saved? We live in a hostile environment where the gospel isn't accepted. Um, and so, so there's this whole place where hostility is coming towards us um, and it hits the tribulation that's inside. So what Jesus is saying is, in my, in my world, you're all going to leave me. So you think about it, if your closest friends, the ones you're relying on the most, in your darkest hour, they all abandon you. The messages that are coming to you, I've been rejected, they didn't care about me, I'm all, all alone, woe is me. And those messages hit something on the inside of us. And so what Jesus is saying is it's going to look like I'm alone, but on the inside, because I know the Father's with me, I don't care what's going on in my circumstances. I have peace regardless of what's going on in my circumstances. And so as we learn to live with an awareness of our right relationship with God, and as we learn through self-awareness and personal responsibility to deal with that inner turmoil, and as we let the revelation that I'm the beloved of God, I'm chosen, I'm holy, it strengthens us on the inner man so that when the outside world is getting overwhelming, we actually have a place of refuge to go because I'm in right relationship with God. Um, anyway, there's a whole bunch of uh, thoughts in there. I'm writing a series of four books at the minute. Uh, Destiny Image out of America have kindly agreed to publish them. Um, and so the first one's called Radically Restored to Oneness with God. Um, and it's coming out in about three weeks' time. You'll get it from your nearest bookshop or Amazon or wherever you buy a Christian books. Um, and then the next one is called Radically Restored to Oneness with One Another, which I'm in the process of completing. Won't be available for another 12 months or so. Um, so uh, that's where a lot of these ideas, you know, uh, have germinated from. So we live in oneness with God. We live in right relationship with God by being surrendered to the truth that I am the beloved of God. I'm chosen, I'm holy, and I'm blameless. And as I surrender to that truth, like Jesus says, my knowledge of who I am in Christ will be stronger so my inner tribulation is dealt with and I don't have that inner turmoil I have to deal with. How do I live in right relationship with myself? Well, living in right relationship with myself is actually coming to grips with the fact that I'm broken and that that's okay. 
Um, well, sorry, I say, let me say that a bit early. It's not okay that I'm broken, but it's I normalize the fact that I'm broken. It, I'm not overwhelmed by the fact that I'm broken. I'm not overwhelmed by the fact that I have stuff that dis I disappoint. I'm disappointed in myself. The, the key goes back to this idea of self-awareness and personal responsibility. So we came into the kingdom through self-awareness and personal responsibility. There came a moment where you were self-aware that you were separated from God. You took personal responsibility for that separation and you prayed some sort of prayer and boom, you're now a child of God, out of darkness into light. That's how you got into the kingdom. So all transformation is based on the same principle, self-awareness and personal responsibility. So when the Holy Spirit convicts you of righteousness, what he's doing, it's like when the father came into the garden when Adam and Eve had sinned. He didn't come in as an angry judge. He came in with two questions. The first question was, where are you? He came in as a loving father trying to restore relationship because God is righteousness and he's always looking for right relationship. He's not looking to punish us. He's looking to help us live in right relationship. And so he comes in, he says, where are you? The where are you question is a question of relationship. It's not a question of geography. It's a question of where have you gone in your relationship with me? Something's changed. Something's different. He knew where they were. He knows everything. He wanted them to be self-aware and take personal responsibility for the change. Now, unfortunately, they didn't take personal responsibility and they weren't aware. They said, we were afraid of you. And so then the next question was, who told you that? Um, where did that information come from? It didn't come from me. Um, and then, you know, they blame one another and they're not living in right relationship with God and they're now not living in right relationship with one another. And so the Holy Spirit, he works with questions. And so he comes to us and he says to us, why are you watching pornography? What's that all about? Now, because we don't know God as a loving father and that we're much loved children of God and that we're holy and chosen and blameless, I'm not saying that God excuses our sin, but he's forgiven us of our sin. Sin is about being caught in a prison. It's all about our belief. God is always wanting to work with our belief more than our behaviour because behaviour is always the echo of belief. And so you change the belief, the behaviour will naturally change. So the Holy Spirit is into belief management, religions into behaviour management. Um, and so we've got to learn how to live with the Holy Spirit. When he convicts us of righteousness, he's saying, what, what are you believing that's causing you to rely on pornography as a place of comfort? That's what he's interested in. He's not wanting to punish you for the behaviour. He doesn't want you to. He doesn't even want you to be condemned about the behaviour, which almost sounds heretical to the religious mind. What he's saying is, you are in a prison of belief that's causing you to to look at pornography. Let me get you out of that prison of belief. Because if I can get you out of there, then you won't need pornography. You won't go there. And so, when the Holy Spirit convicts us, He's shining light not on the behaviour but on the belief, because He's always wanting us to live in right relationship. And so he shines light on the belief that we, we, we're believing something that we think pornography can fix. And so what the Holy Spirit's wanting us to do is through self-awareness and personal responsibility, actually examine those belief systems and where they've come from, where their, their origin was in our childhood um, or in our adolescence. Um, and then he says, let me help you change that. The one thing that I know the Holy Spirit's always interested in is my view of reality. He's always challenging my view of reality and he wants to challenge my view of reality so it would be conformed to his view of reality. Um, and so that means I have to sacrifice my view of reality. So trust, if I'm going to trust his view of reality, I have to sacrifice my view of reality. And so, so when it comes to living in a right relationship with myself, it's understanding that the work of the Holy Spirit is to set me free from the prisons of belief that cause me to behave in ways that I know are not Christ-like. And that I, I don't feel condemned by my behaviour. It doesn't mean that I don't feel godly sorrow. 
And it doesn't mean that I, 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 I don't want to take responsibility for my wrong actions. But what I'm saying is that to live in right relationship with yourself, it's all about what you're believing that needs to be adjusted and changed. It's not your behaviour. So it's not trying harder not to look at pornography. It's actually recognising what is it that I'm believing that's taking me there in the first place and that the Holy Spirit wants to help me with that. And that's where you need counsellors and, you know, all those sorts of people, and I'm not here to do that today. However, another really great book that will help you here is The Emotionally Healthy Leader by Pete Scazzaro. Um, one of the best books you'll ever, ever read into this sort of space. Um, and another book that will help is John Ortberg's book on soul keeping um, and how you look after your soul and how you care for yourself. And so in this space of being in right relationship with ourselves, it is about our spirituality, but it's also about resting. It's about creating time for yourself. It's actually doing things that regenerate you and not feeling guilty about that. Um, it's about saying to people, look, I need some time to myself right now. Um, it's about going on holidays every six months. Um, it's about, you know, creating a financial world where you budget to have money to actually do things that you enjoy. Um, a whole bunch of things in there that, again, I don't have time to talk about. But at the, at the core of it, it's about how do I maintain right, right relationship with myself. And then finally, there's the right relationship with others. Um, how do I live righteously in right relationship with others? Um, this is a tricky one for us as pastors. Um, this is a really tricky one for us because everybody seems to think that they know better than us um, in what we are called to do and who we're called to be. And so living in right relationship with other people um, is, is probably one of the biggest challenges that I face. Um, and so what that means is that I have to value things like humility. I have to value things like forgiveness. Um, I, what I've learned over the years is that there is a prize of who I am becoming in Christ. There is my history with God. There's my walk with God. It's what I take with me into eternity. Um, I don't take what I've achieved into eternity. I take who I've become into eternity. And that living in right relationship with other people is a great opportunity for me to learn how to live in right relationship with myself and how to live in right relationship with God because I'm constantly confronted by people's attitudes that aren't all that helpful to my well-being. Um, and so the prize, what I've had to do is to learn to focus on the prize of how, who can I become here? How, how can I genuinely learn to uh, discover how to love the one that's betrayed me? How do I genuinely learn to speak well of the person that is criticising me in what I'm doing? How do I learn to let love cover rather than feel like I have to go out and, and defend myself? How do I live in the Beatitudes? You know, how, how do I live in that Sermon on the Mount and all that? Uh, how do I actually live with others in that space? And so for me, the prize is learning to live in right relationship with others the way that the kingdom wants me to live in right relationship recognising that I'll pay a price because every prize has a price attached to it. So whether the Olympics go ahead or not uh, in Tokyo, they will win a prize uh, if they do well, but they've paid a huge price together. And so, so are we going to focus on the price? Are we going to focus on the pain and the criticism and the betrayal and the judgment and the sense of failure and things not going the way? Are we going to focus on the price, the pressure that comes around us? Or are we going to focus on the prize? Who can I become through this? Who can I actually, I can lean into the grace of God. I can lean into the word. God, I find it really difficult to forgive these people right now. 
In fact, I want to go and break their kneecaps if I'm really honest. Um, I know I shouldn't because I'm a pastor, but, but I'm a human being as well. And right now I feel pretty rejected. Um, but how do I not let the price overwhelm me? And how, who can you be for me? How can I learn to be like you and live in right relationship with those people? Um, and so, so what I've found in this space as, as a last thought, as a key, is that I have to live with discovery, not prosecution. Um, when I feel in the relationships with other people are stretched or where there's tension, tension doesn't mean something's wrong. It means that something's happening. Um, because if I live with something's wrong, I live with prosecution. But if I live with what's happening, I live with discovery. And so to live in right relationship with people, I've learned I have to live with a discovery motive, not a prosecution motive. Um, I'm trying to discover what's happening for me and what's happening for them. And so I try to live in a knowing and being known world. Now, not everybody wants to join me in that world when they're upset with me and they want to prosecute their case. Um, and I can't do a lot about that. But I can have an attitude of discovery. And so I can have an attitude of discovery as, Lord, that betrayal is really hurting me. Um, can you help me figure out how to manage that betrayal in the way that you would? Interestingly, in Hosea chapter 7, verse 15, um, it says something like, uh, so it's the prophet speaking on behalf of God to Ephraim and saying, but I was the one who strengthened you and I was the one who built you up, but now you're devising evil plans against me. Um, and so, so the Lord has his own people that devise evil plans against him, which we sometimes feel as pastors. Um, so the Lord's experienced it. And so he wants to live in right relationship with people. That's, what, that's why he's righteous. So if he's learned how to live in right relationship, then I can learn how to live in right relationship. Um, and so I make it about the price. Who can I become in the tension of these relationships that aren't working out? Um, because they're the things that assail our mental well-being, the self-talk, that we, the arguments that we want to have with people again and just proves them, I'm not as bad as you say that I am. I'm not, I'm not doing things wrong like you say that I am. Why don't you believe in me? Why don't you love me? Let me just have that argument with you again in my head. Um, the way I imagine it is it's like we've got a birdcage in our head and we've got birds in there and we pull them out. We have the argument, we stick some pins in them, we put them back in the birdcage and we chain it, close it, and then we pull them out again and we stick some more pins in them. The way I know that I'm living in the right relationship is when I stop pulling them out of the birdcage and I just let them go and I go, oh, it doesn't matter anymore. Then I can live in right relationship with them. As long as I'm sticking pins in them, I can't live in the right relationship with them because I'm trying to prove a point. I'm trying to prosecute a case. And as long as I'm living in prosecution, I can't live in right relationship with people. So I have to find a way out of prosecution into a place of discovery and in that place find the grace of God. Anyway, I've probably talked for far too long and I've got far too overwhelmed in my excitement about the possibilities for all of us who are listening. I hope that was helpful, Ian. Yeah, okay. So let me just pray uh, for anybody that's listening right now. So, Lord, I, I thank you. I'm just so grateful, Lord, that you're my father and that you love me. And I thank you, Lord, that you have us all on a journey of discovering how much you love us and how much you believe in us and how much you want to care for us. And so I just pray for everybody, Lord, that's listening, that Holy Spirit, you would help us to learn how to live in right relationship with our father, how to live in right relationship with ourselves and how to live in right relationship with one another. Lord, would you lead us to the resources that we need to become the people that you're calling us to be? And, Lord, I pray for those in particular who are really stressed out, who are right on the edge, Lord. I, I pray, would you bring somebody to them, Lord, that could just help them to find a way out of the maze 
out of the internal conflict, through the turmoil, and back into that place of righteousness, peace, and joy, which we've received from you. So, Lord, I just bless everybody as they go on this continued exploration of discovery. Amen. Amen.